0: So, thank you very, very much for joining us today on this helpful educational webinar. I know that the information presented today is just going to be so helpful to everybody, including me, because I still have a lot to learn. Um, I'm Michelle Morris from Consolidated Planning Group. We are a holistic financial planning firm that focuses on families with loved ones who have a disability or a special need, whether it be intellectual or developmental. We're located just outside of Houston and we serve all of Texas and even other states as well. Um, Our contact info is there on this slide, but I've also put it in the chat box for you um, so that you'll have that throughout today's webinar Um, today we cannot see you or hear you because we're in webinar mode so you're all. Muted, but we know you're out there. Uh, You can put any questions or comments that you have into the chat box, and I will get with Melissa on those questions kind of towards the end of her talk, just to make sure that we listen before we jump in with a question that she's about to answer. Um, This webinar is being recorded, so you can check it out later on our YouTube channel. We're also going to email you the slides, so anything clickable in the slides will be available to you later, um, and we're also doing a podcast, so if you would rather listen to it later instead of re-watching it, you can get it uh, from our podcast, and if you're joining us on the podcast, uh, you can email us at contact at cpgcares.net to get a copy of the slides emailed to you. Okay, so the next slide tells you a little bit about what we do. Uh, we are special needs planners. We focus on protection plans like life insurance, um, making sure that you have lifetime care plans in place for your loved ones. You know, they're, they might live 30 or 40 years once you're gone, and it's important to think about Who's going to take care of them? How are they going to be protected? And how is that care going to be paid for? Uh, We do a lot of help with transition planning, you know, getting from school age to adult age and, and moving out of high school into Real life, (laughs) Um, you know, how does that all work and what does that look like for your family? We can help you set up an ABLE account. We also help with um, investments and life insurance and things like that. And mainly, we're here to educate and advocate for families like yours, whether, like I said, it's a developmental or an intellectual disability. We want to make sure that you have the tools and resources at your fingertips that you need um, to to help you out. So uh, without any further ado, I have some more slides at the end about how to contact us if you're interested, but I would much rather stop talking and listen to Melissa. This is Melissa Gengenbach. Gengenbach, Got it. She is with the Harris Center here in Houston, and she is a service coordinator mentor. She does a lot of training, and today she's going to help us understand community-first choice. What is that? Why do we want it? Are we on the waiting list for it, et cetera? So Melissa, take it away and I'll be here to monitor the chat box.
1: Thank you, Michelle. So as Michelle said, my name is Melissa Gengenbach and I am a mentor with the Harris Center for Mental Health and IDD. I train service coordinators specifically for the CFC program. That's what we usually call community first choice. So the things that I'll be covering today is implementation of CFC, program impact, eligibility requirements, services and settings, functional assessment, the role of the leader, which is the Harris Center, that's what we are called. Um, We're also gonna talk about the enrollment process, frequently asked questions that we normally have, accessing services and resources. So starting with the background, how it all started. CNC started Um, from the 2013 Texas Legislature Senate Bill 7. And at that moment, they were requiring the state to provide a cost-effective approach to attendance services and habilitation services. Health and Human Services Commission, HSSC, met this requirement for the state by implementing CFC. CFC is a State Plan Entitlement benefit. An entitlement benefit meaning that anybody who qualifies for the program is able to receive this service without having to get put on a waiver interest list. Because some of those waiver interest lists can have a really, really long in, uh, waiting list. It could be like 10 to 15 years. But we don't have to go through that process. Anybody who can qualify can get enrolled into the CFC program. We started back in June 1, 2015. That's when we started enrolling all of the CFC referrals that we were receiving and being able to provide them with the services at that moment. So in what ways can CFC be received? Well, CFC can be received through a Medicaid managed care organization um, managed care organizations, sometimes we refer to as MCO. CFC can also be received for people who have Medicaid fee for service, also for people who are enrolled in any of the 1915 c IDD waiver programs. So this would include Texas on Living or HCS. If they're in any, either one of these waiver programs, they are able to receive CFC services and CFC can also be received through other waiver programs like CLASS. So CLASS is a waiver program that's not through the Harris Center but it is known as a waiver program through the state. They can also provide CFC. Now for our presentation today I work with the Harris Center and I work with primarily the program for non-waiver. So we won't be covering the last three bullet points that we have here, we'll be covering mostly the process for whenever they're gonna get CFC through the Medicaid managed care organization. So just when they have the managed care organizations. So for eligibility requirements, who can qualify? The individual can be of any age from as little as three years old to 85, no matter how old they are, they can stay in the program for as long as they can keep qualifying for the program. Another one of the eligibility requirements for CFC is that they have to be a Medicare recipient. Not just Medicaid, but specifically, they have to have a Medicaid MCO, a managed care organization. For example, United Healthcare or Amerigroup, or Molina. The next thing that they must have is that they must need help in activities of daily living or they must need help with instrumental activities of daily living. So what that means is that they must need help with activities that you and I might be able to do every day. For example, they need help with bathing, they need help with dressing, they need help with toileting, or maybe they need help with um, meal preparation, need help with cleaning the room, need help with shopping for groceries, that kind of thing. The last criteria to qualify for CFC is that they must meet an institutional level of care, LOC. So we do something that's called an IDRC. IDRC is going to be an assessment to see if they can qualify for an institutional level of care. In other words, we're going to see if because of their diagnosis and their functioning ability, could that person qualify to live in an institution? Just because they qualify to live in an institution doesn't mean that they actually live in an institution. For the program for CFC, you'll see later that we can only give the service if they're living at their home or their family home. But because for the diagnosis is somebody who does qualify to live in institution. Another way to qualify is that they could meet medical necessity, but that eligibility assessment will be determined by other state agencies. It won't be through the Harris Center. So institutional level of care, LOC, what does this mean? Just like I mentioned a second ago, it means that the person is either diagnostically or functionally able to receive services in maybe a hospital or nursing facility, an institution providing psychiatric services, or an intermediate care facility for individuals with an intellectual disability or related condition. The last one is bolded because that's the only one that the Harris Center can assess for. We are only um, able to provide services, CFC services, for people who qualify to live in an intermediate care facility, also known as ICF-IID. So the,
0: the main point really is to keep people from having to live in a faci- in a state-run facility, right? You want them to be able to stay at home because of these services that you're providing.
1: That's exactly right, yes. So that's why they went ahead and thought of, this is a cost-effective approach because instead of living in an institution, you know, when somebody lives in an institution, the state will have to pay for the group home, will have to pay for 24 seven staff, will have a lot more costs if somebody's living in a group home. But this service, is meant to help people find a way to stay living at home with their family members or on their own, where they still get the help that they need, you know, the help with bathing, dressing, et cetera, but they'll be, I guess in a way, saving the state a lot of money because they'll just be paying for a CFC attendant instead of having to pay for the full cost of a group home or an intermediate care facility. So, eligibility is going to be determined by the LIDA. Now, remember, this is only for ICF. We do have an eligibility department here at the Harris Center. They're kind of what we call the front door. So, it always starts with going through the front door of the Harris Center, the eligibility unit, where they're going to complete a diagnostic eligibility assessment. From that meeting with the psychologist, the psychologist will develop a report that's called Determination of Intellectual Disability. Um, We just call it DID. And that DID, all of the information inside the DID, is going to help us figure out the level of care. So the DID is a long report written by the psychologist that has information such as the IQ the diagnosis, and any other functioning um, abilities that the individual has. So all of this will lead to eventually figuring out what is the level of care to see if the person can qualify to get into the program or not. Now for CFC, we can only accept people with two specific level of cares. Level of care one, which is when the individual has an IQ of 69 or below, or there's another way to qualify for an LSE-1, is when they have a related condition with an IQ 75 or below, and they also have some adaptive behavior deficits in the range of mild to extreme. So it is a lot of information that is just being pulled from what the psychologist wrote on the report. Now the other way to qualify for a level um, for level of care of ICF, you know, to live in an institution for for intermediate care facility, is LOC eight, and that's when the individual has a related condition, and they also have moderate to extreme adaptive behavior deficits. So these two ways can qualify the individual for the program. They'll be able to get enrolled into the program in those instances. And I know at the beginning, you know, Michelle um, did mention that, you know, we're the Harris Center for Intellectual and Developmental Disorders. I wanted to also point out that when we say related condition, that they must have a related condition with moderate to extreme adaptive behavior, a related condition is a developmental disorder such as autism, Down syndrome, epilepsy. So we have different related conditions that are similar to intellectual disability, but not actually diagnosed as an intellectual disability. The most common ones that we see for related condition really are autism and Down syndrome. Those are the ones that we see the most often. So, What are the services that we have? We have four services in the CFC program. The first one's called Personal Assistance Service, which we commonly refer to as PASS, Habilitation Service, which we call HAB, Emergency Response Services, we call ERS, and lastly, Support Management. For the first CFC service, the personal assistance services pass. This is gonna provide assistance to the individual with their activities of their living and also help them with their instrumental activities of their living. This help could be hands-on, for example, actually holding the spoon for the individual in order to eat. It could be supervision assistance where maybe the attendant might just be observing the individual to make sure that they don't choke while they're eating. Or it could be cueing, like providing step-by-step step that the attendant might tell the individual, okay, now next you gotta hold the fork like this and cut it like this, and that's how you're gonna be able to eat. So this is gonna be any kind of help with their activities, like the bathing, the toileting, the eating. The assistance is going to come based on a person-centered service plan. So this plan is going to take a look at every single activity of daily living and see what exactly they need help with, how many minutes they need help with bathing, how many minutes they need help with dressing, etc. For PASS We can also provide them with assistance with completing household chores, like cleaning the room or dusting or any kind of chore that you and I might be able to do every day. PASS can also provide escort services, which basically are accompanying the individual to activities in the community. So they could accompany the individual to go to the doctor's appointment or they could accompany the individual to go to the park, things like that. But when it comes to CFC, one thing that we have to remember is that CFC does not provide transportation. So the attendant will not get reimbursed for any time that is being spent transporting the individual. Lastly, when it comes to pass, PAS can also be assistance with health related tasks, tasks delegated by registered nurse, health maintenance activities or extension of therapy. For example, if they have a physical therapist who is assigning exercises to do, um, such as stretching the arm in a certain way, the attendant for CFC could spend time with the individual to work on those therapy exercises that they're needing to do from home. The second service, habilitation, This service is meant to help individuals acquire, maintain, and enhance skills to accomplish their activities of their living. In other words, when it comes to HAB, it is about teaching the individual how to do the task rather than doing the task for them. So that means that the attendant will spend time teaching the individual how to get dressed on their own. They would teach them how to um, use the toilet by themselves. They would teach them how to be able to eat by themselves, those kind of things. And sometimes when it comes to habilitation, it could include a few components of the past. Because when somebody is getting habilitation, for example, on how to prepare a meal, when the individual is learning how to prepare a meal at the very end of the training, they also happen to have the meal that's right in front of them, ready to eat. So that's a little bit of the pass with the have. The third service is emergency response services, ERS. ERS is gonna provide an electronic device that is worn by the individual, like maybe a watch or maybe a necklace. And that when this device is activated by the individual, it alerts a designated person that the individual is experiencing an emergency. You guys might have seen the commercials for Life Alert, um, Life Alert commercial help, I fall and I can't get up. It is pretty much like that, a device that they get to wear and press the button to um, just kind of alert that they're having an emergency. Now, this is not a very common service though. This is extremely rare that we see for people with intellectual disabilities or related conditions have because this is a service for people who would need a little bit of supervision, but for the most part, they either live alone, are alone for significant parts of the day, or do not have a regular caregiver for extended periods of time. So that means that the individual who gets ERS must be someone who actually spends a lot of time by themselves at home alone in any kind of way. And then in that case, there is the need for having the ERS device. And the last CFC service is support management. Support management is gonna provide a voluntary one-time training on how to select the attendant, like how to hire the attendant also train them on how to manage the attendant and how to dismiss the attendant. So in other words, it can teach the family how to become the employer, the supervisor of the attendant. So that means that they will be responsible for selecting the staff and managing the staff. Now this is offered to all members, regardless of how they receive the service. Now we have other service delivery models. Primarily the one that is most commonly known by individuals are the agency provider option. So when somebody gets CFC, it doesn't come directly through the Harris Center. Instead, the service comes through a provider agency most of the time. In that scenario, What happens is that before they actually start to receive the service, first, the MCO, the Medicaid organization, will provide the family with a list of provider agencies, you know, separate agencies that are gonna be responsible for actually providing the service. With that provider agency, they can get the service, um, any of the four CFC services that are available. Now there is another option. You don't have to have the traditional provider agency. Families are able to choose the option that's known as CDS, which stands for Consumer Directed Services option. If a family chooses that option, what that means is that the family, not only have they received the training, but they have accepted responsibility. They want to be the ones responsible for hiring the attendant, for managing the attendant and for dismissing the attendant. They'll be the basically the supervisor, the employer of whoever the attendant is for CFC. In that scenario, the family is gonna get a list of what's called the Financial Management Services Agency. FMSA. And the FMSA will not be the employer. They wouldn't be responsible for for finding the staff or managing the staff or anything like that. Instead, the FMSA would just be responsible for just the payroll, just releasing the paychecks to the attendant. When it comes to CDS, some people don't choose the CDS option because it is a lot more responsibility and a lot more paperwork for the family. The families are basically taking on a job of being the supervisor of this attendant. So they're going to have to set the schedule for the attendant to come out. They will set the wage although the wage does have a limit and the limit is set by the FMSA. There will be responsible if the service is not provided, because it will be them who wants to be in charge of providing the service of, you know, having the staff come over or firing the staff or instructing the staff on what to do better. For CDS, they can only do CDS for the past service, habilitation service and support management service. But, they can still qualify to get ERS. If somebody wanted to get ERS, it's just that the ERS would come through that traditional provider option. So somebody could potentially have both for CFC.
0: Really quickly, we have a question that I think that you just answered. So I want to clarify before we go on, so we can let that question go. Uh, the pay rate for PAS and HAB services, it depends on you know if the family is acting as the employer, then they can set that themselves, right? They they decide on that, but there are limits. Yes. And then if they're not acting as uh, the employer, if they're getting it through an MCO, the managed care organization, then the MCO sets it and they don't have to worry about it, correct?
1: Um, for the most part, yes, except that instead of being the MCO who sets the pay, it actually would be one of the providers that is contracted by the MCO. So we got a couple of players in here. It's not um, just the LIDA, not, not just the Harris Center and the MCO, but we have the Harris Center, the MCO, and also a traditional provider agency. So that provider agency will be the one that sets the pay. And families get sometimes a really long list of provider agencies. So they will have to call each provider agency. And if they're interested in knowing how much the attendant is gonna get paid, they'll have to ask ask each one of those provider agencies and then they can compare what kind of pay each one of those providers can allow. Okay, thank you. Thank you for asking. So we have also um, not only different ways to provide it as in like traditional provider versus CDS, but we have different ways of providing it based on the program they're in. So we do have some individuals at the Harris Center that could be receiving CFC through one of the IDD waiver programs like Texas on Living and HCS. So if somebody is getting CFC through the waiver program, the waiver provider is contracted by Health and Human Services. While on the other hand, if you look at the top section here, if you have an individual who's getting CFC through non-waiver through the MCO, in that case, the provider agency is gonna be contracted by the MCO. So the multiple parties is gonna depend on what program you're in whether it's going to be through the non-waiver or whether it's through the waiver. Also for the next bullet point, the second bullet point on each one of these tables, it'll it'll show you that the services, no matter whether you're getting the CFC through the MCO or whether you're getting the CFC through the waiver program, either way, you're still going to be able to choose a traditional provider agency or you can choose the CDS option, the consumer directed services option. For the third bullet point on each one of these, if you are receiving CFC through the MCO, then in that case, the Harris Center, the leader, will conduct the CFC assessment, you know, the assessment to figure out how many hours they can get for the attendant to come out to the home. So, will do that, but only if the individual is age 21 and over. So that's only for a certain age range. While on the other hand, if the individual is getting CFC through the waiver program, then the Harris Center will conduct the CFC assessment for everybody, no matter how the individual is. And lastly, In regards to who's going to do the CFC assessment, I'm sorry, not do, forgive me, Um, in regards to who's going to authorize the service, um, for the CFC, if they're getting it through the non-waiver program, through the MCO, then at the very end of the process, we're going to send the assessment with the hours to the MCO. But if they're in one of the waiver programs, like Texas on Living or HCS, then instead the CFC assessment is gonna be sent directly to the provider agency. So it's a very different receiving CFC based on how or what program you're in sometimes. So a little bit more about CFC in general, all CFC services are provided in a community-based setting. These community-based settings include the individual's own home or family home. So I mentioned this before, it's one of the requirements to be in the program. In order to qualify for the program, the person does have to live in their own home or family home. They cannot live in a nursing facility or a hospital or an institutional institution for mental disease An intermediate care facility for individuals with an intellectual disability or related condition or any any kind of institution whatsoever. Now, sometimes if an individual does go to a hospital, you know, let's say they're hospitalized for a week. If it's just a really short term hospitalization for a week, they won't be able to get the CFC while they're there at the hospital, but they can restart CFC as soon as they're out of the hospital they can start at the very next day. So let's talk a little bit more about the CFC assessment of what this is and who completes it. All of the CFC assessments are gonna be used to determine the level of assistance. So in other words, they're gonna be completing an assessment to figure out how many hours they need help with bathing, help with dressing, help with toileting. And how many hours of training training with bathing dressing toileting this assessment is going to be done in a certain person way a person centered way is whenever we focus primarily on the individual who's getting the service we focus on their strengths their abilities their preferences what are their needs what are their wants everything is gonna be centered around the individual. So I did kind of talk a little bit how the CFC assessments can be completed by different entities or different organizations. And it depends on the individual's situation. So here we have a table for managed care plan. If they have STAR+, Plus, which is a, a Medicaid type for individuals 21 and up then in that case the CFC assessment is going to be done by the Harris Center if they have start kids and start health now these are two different medicaid types and they are both for individuals who are under the age of 21 so like 20 and under so if they have that type of medicaid then the MCO will be the one responsible for doing the CFC assessment and determining the hours. And then lastly, we have STAR Medicaid. That's another type that not many people see. This one is for individuals that are under the age of 21. And if they have that type of Medicaid, the CFC assessment is gonna be done by what's called DISHES. DISHES is another organization through the state, but not related Um, directly to the Harris Center. That's great.
0: That was one of the questions that was asked. So thank you for covering that. I just want to remind everyone that we'll get to the bulk of the questions at the end of the presentation. We are recording this, and you will receive a link to the recording and the slides uh, later today or early tomorrow. Okay, sorry to
1: interrupt, Melissa. Please continue. No, no, it's okay. Thank you so much. Um, You guys are having great questions, so that's good to hear. So what can be expected from the LIDA, you know, from the Harris Center? You can expect us to conduct a DID, Determination of Intellectual Disability, if necessary. So what we mean by if necessary, everybody has to have a DID. But the DIDs are going to be good for five years. So that means that anybody in our CFC program has to get an update on the DID every five years. Also, the Harris Center will be responsible for completing what's known as the IDRC. The IDRC assessment, which um, is an assessment to see if this person is eligible for the program or not. will also be responsible for providing that DID and the IDRC to Health and Human Services Commission. So we'll provide that information to Health and and Human Services because Health and Human Services are actually the ones that have the um, authorization to approve eligibility. We send the paperwork to them, but they're the ones that ultimately approve or deny eligibility into the program. And then whenever we find out the level of care to see if they qualify or not for the program, we are responsible for sending that information to the MCO or to DISHES. So that way they can be aware of whether this person qualifies for the program or not. So other things that we're responsible for, um, it's going to depend on the age. When it comes to individuals that are under 21, we'll provide the family with the LOC results. If they're 21 and over, we'll develop a CFC assessment for anybody who already has a DID and an approved level of care. For under 21, we're gonna be responsible for following up with the family and with the individual to make sure that at least the MCO, the maybe Texas Children's Star Kids or Amerigroup Star Kids, We want to make sure that they have at least made contact with the family to complete the assessment. Because remember, when it comes to minors, the Harris Center doesn't complete the CFC assessment, but we'll follow up with the MCO to make sure that they've done it or that they have at least scheduled the CFC assessment. If they're 21 and over, we'll be responsible for collaborating with the MCO, working together with the MCO on the CFC assessment that we're proposing that will have all of the hours for the services. If they're under 21, we're gonna make sure um, that the case is transferred out mm-hmm. to any other programs or any other additional services that the person might need because the hair Center does have other programs. Like for example, we have a program called general revenue and we can refer people to the general revenue program if they're needing any of those services. Now, if they're 21 and over, we actually will keep the case open for the whole entire year and do case management as needed, which usually tends to be case management at least once a month.
0: As you're going through these ages, we do have a quick question specifically related to age. If they're 20 when they first qualify, do they need to retest at 21 or can they just keep going?
1: So at the age of 21, like the month that they turn 21, at that moment, they're going to have to do the process to transfer into STAR-PLUS and to transfer into CSC through STAR-PLUS. So they do have to go through the whole entire process. Um, the hours might be different. you know they might have been getting let's say twenty hours of CFC services when they were twenty, but then when they turned twenty one they might be getting fifteen hours according to the CFC assessment that was done by the Harris Center so It's not starting all over from the beginning, but they do have to, in the month that they turn 21, kind of go through the different process that is required of people that are 21 and over. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So other roles that involve other parties, we talked about the MCO and how they're gonna be involved. So the MCO is gonna be responsible for referring individuals that they think could potentially have IDD, intellectual or developmental disorders. They'll refer those people to the LIDA, so that way we can do an assessment for those people. The MCO is also responsible for maintaining a network of providers. So each MCO has their own list of providers that they can contract with. The MCO is the one that authorizes the hours for the services. So when it comes to adults, they will actually be the ones to say, "Ah, yes, we can do 20 hours for CFC. Or the MCO might come back and say, no, we can't do 20 hours, but we can approve 17 hours based on this, this and that. Um, also, if the individual happens to be 20 or under, the MCO will also provide service coordination Like they'll help people get different services, different providers. They'll handle basically um, anything that has to do with coordinating the service for anybody who is 20 and under. Now, the next entity, Health and Human Services, is we kind of like to call them the state a little bit. They're kind of like the state level that are above the MCOs and above the Harris Center. They're responsible for the oversight of the MCOs or contract oversight with the Harris Center and other leaders. They're also gonna be the ones that actually get the final say on authorizing the level of care. They get the final say on yes, this person is eligible or no, this person's not eligible. And they're also gonna start the fair hearing process. If we ever have an individual whose level of care is denied that basically they were not found eligible for the program. So we do have a process that is different for adults and minors. And when we refer to adults, we usually are referring to the people that are 20, I'm sorry, 21 and over. It all starts with the MCO refers them to us. Then the leader normally goes ahead and contacts the family to offer enrollment into the program. Then the service coordinator is going to hold a meeting with the individual. They're going to get consent form signed. They're going to do a CFC assessment. And they're going to complete the IDRC assessment to determine eligibility. So the service coordinator submits this whole entire packet. Then Health and Human Services will need to approve or deny the IDRC, you know, the eligibility paperwork. After the LLC has been approved or denied, then the MCO gets the packet and they review or they approve the CFC assessment if they find that everything's okay. After they do this, the MCO representative, the Harris Center Service Coordinator, and the individual are all gonna have a second meeting to sign the approved CFC assessment, the one that has all of the CFC hours. So that's the moment that it's been finalized and approved by the MCL. Then the family gets to choose a provider agency. Everything gets sent over to the provider agency and they go ahead and begin the CFC services. After that-
0: I'm sorry, but how long does all of this take once you're referred or you're getting in?
1: So, It really does depend on the situation, because when an MCR refers, this process could maybe take two to three months if they have an active DID. However, if they currently don't have an active DID in place, then the first step will be to actually the eligibility unit having to contact them and complete a DID. But we have seen where sometimes there is a waiting list to get a DID to just have that one appointment with the psychologist. And in that case, we've seen it take a long time, months, maybe even a year, depending on their waiting list and on what they have available. So two to three months is the least amount of time that I would say that it would take, maybe a year it could possibly take as well. And the DID stood for disability, Oh, Determination of Intellectual Disability is that report, that evaluation completed by the psychologist that's going to include the, the IQ, the diagnosis, everything the psychologist has um, found out during the visit with the individual. Okay, thank you. And then for the process for the adults, the very last thing after they go ahead and start the services the Harris Center service coordinator will monitor their CFC services, probably on a monthly basis. So the enrollment process for the minors, age 20 and under, it still starts with the MCO sending the referral over to us. And by the way, whenever the MCO sends the referral, they usually upload it on this um, FTP site, this secure protocol FTP site, and we receive it. It's usually more like a spreadsheet that they upload with names of potential people that could receive CFC services. The leader will contact the family again to offer enrollment into the program. Then if they're interested, we'll go ahead and hold that meeting again with the individual and the family and the service coordinator is gonna do the IDRC. Then the same thing goes next where Health and Human Services is still gonna need to either approve or deny the IDRC, the eligibility paperwork. The MCO, or DISHES, then conducts the CFC assessment. Because remember, for the minors, for anybody who's 20 and under, it's the MCO who does the CFC assessment. Then the individual can stay open to our units here at the Harris Center for about 30 days. Because during that 30 days, the service coordinator wants to make sure that the MCO make contact and has either completed the CFC assessment or at least scheduled the CFC assessment. Once that step is done, there's nothing else for the Harris Center to do until the following year when we have to renew the eligibility paperwork. Therefore, the CFC service coordinator here with our team will discharge the individual from service coordination from our program because everything else will be handled all through the MCL. The MCO service coordinator would be the one that monitors the CFC service, makes sure that the service starts, makes sure that the services are provided. They're the ones that um, basically the family can go to for any problems with the CFC service. So for frequently asked questions that we've had in the past, did you know? For non-waiver CFC recipients, And that's, again, you know, anybody who's not in the waiver programs, they're not in Texas living, they're not in HCS. In those cases, the attendant can actually live at home with the individual, which means that the attendant could be a mom. The attendant could be a dad. Now, the only exception to this rule is that the attendant cannot be the parent of a minor. So if the individual is under 18 years of age, then the state... Will not allow that parent to get reimbursed for helping the individual with bathing and dressing etc. Um, also the attendant cannot be the spouse of the individual. Another thing that a lot of people don't know is that general revenue GR services here at the Hair Center are able to be authorized with CFC services. So our CFC has different funding different services than GR does. GR has different funding, different services, even different eligibility requirements a little bit, but people are able to get GR services and CFC services at the same time. Not at the same hour, but maybe like on the same day, like get CFC in the morning and get GR in the afternoon. But that will be complete different list of services though. For CFC, An individual that has CFC cannot be receiving personal care services. So PCS, personal care services, are attendant services that also help the individual with bathing, dressing, and toileting, etc. So a family will have to choose between PCS or CFC if they're already getting PCS at this moment. But a lot of families do choose CFC just because they want to get that portion of Habilitation as well to have the training added along to the PCS. Added along to the attendant assistance services. The next thing is that CFC services do not affect any interest list status for HCS or Texan living. So they can be in CFC and they will stay on the exact same um, spot when it comes to receiving HCS or Texan living in the future. Also, CFC can continue to be provided once they're enrolled in HCS or Texan Living, those waiver programs. The CFC plan benefit offers a great option for people with disabilities while they wait for the big interest list programs, while they wait for Texan Living or HCS, because Texan Living or HCS are those big waiver programs that has a lot of services. You know, we're kind of like the appetizer, we're just giving you a little bit um, until eventually that person can be provided one of those big slots one of those uh on living waiver programs or hcs or class or any of those other big big programs that they have out there and remember the cfc is an entitlement program so the services can be requested at any time so if an individual enrolls into cfc and they don't want to get the service at all anymore because they're going to have somebody else um, I don't know, we'll say that dad is at home all the time and dad wants to just be the one to just help the individual. If they change their mind in the future, like seven months down the road, they can go ahead and request for CSC services again, seven months down the road, and we can go ahead and open them back up again. For accessing the services, well, remember we said that the process normally starts with getting a referral from the MCO. So, if you're interested in CFC, you can contact your MCO organization. We have here the telephone numbers. There's a telephone number for United Healthcare Star Plus, and also they have United Healthcare Star Kids, it's the same phone number. Molina Star Plus, AmeriGroup Star Kids, AmeriGroup Star Plus, Texas Children Star Kids Superior. But if the individual happens to have Star Medicaid, just Star Medicaid, then in that case, they want to request CFC by calling the TMHP client line, which would be the one telephone number here. In that case, they'll be the ones to send us the referral for CFC services. it will all be uploaded through the FTP site. And the last way is, you know, if you don't want to call the MCO, you, too, you could technically call the LIDA, just call the Harris Center.
0: And that will be this telephone number a different county than you call whichever LIDA or LIDA or whatever it is, LIDA, uh, whichever one is for your county. Uh, So for Fort Bend, that would be uh, Texoma or Texana or whatever it's called. Um, So just contact your local authority and they'll be able to help you if you don't wanna contact one of those organizations on the previous slide.
1: That is right. And here's a telephone number. If you did wanna call the Harris Center, to try to get CFC services. We have the eligibility unit and we have our program director telephone number here. But then these websites can also be used to find out the information for other LIDAs. So the first link, if you go in here, it'll give you um, the LIDA by putting in your zip code. The next one, if you already know what LIDA you have, this link will go ahead and give you all of the LIDA name contact information and then this one is going to be by county so the last website is just if you wanted more information about cfc if you wanted to read about cfc through the health and human services website
0: perfect okay so i think what we're going to do is melissa if you would go ahead and go to my slide that has the qr code on it we're going to skip my other slides because i think it's more important that We get our questions answered. So I'm just going to show you this one and I'm going to say if you have questions about um, topics related to financial planning, uh, benefits, all of these things, any topics related to special needs planning or disability services, you can contact Consolidated Planning Group um any way that's on this slide there's a phone number an email address you can use the qr code we give you a free completely free initial consultation where we learn about you and answer your questions and then we'll talk a little bit about how we work and how we charge and what we can do for you and then see if it would be a good fit for for us to work together we also have links to our facebook Instagram, YouTube channel, and our podcast down there. So we're going to leave this slide up so that you can get our information and make your appointment uh, while we go through the questions that we have, Melissa, if that's okay with you. So I'm going to scroll all the way back up in the chat box and go through some of as many of these as we possibly can. Like I said, I feel like it's more important to get your questions answered Rather than hear about me. Um, so, okay, let's start with Medicaid. And, you know, if, if they have a child who is under the age of 18, how do they get Medicaid?
1: So, to get Medicaid, a lot of the people that are in our program primarily get Medicaid because they qualify for um, Supplemental Security Income, SSI. To get SSI, they will complete the process, the application process, through their nearest. Um, social security administration office. So if you were to Google the nearest social security administration office and go there to apply for SSI, if you apply for SSI and you get qualified, you automatically get Medicaid if you get SSI. And some of the
0: rules for SSI are that uh, your family cannot have more than $2,000 if it's a single parent in assets, uh, one house and one car. If the parents are married, it's $3,000. So it is very limited based on your um, your assets that you have. So not very many people will qualify. Um, if you get a waiver program, again, that's through coming at Uh, CFC through a different channel. But if you get a waiver program, then you also get Medicaid. That's another way that you can have Medicaid if you're under 14 years old, although some of those wait lists can be exceptionally long. We know that. How do we know what care they need? That comes from all of the assessments, right? That is correct. Yes, ma'am. Okay. What about mental disabilities? Where does that fit into all of
1: this? So when somebody has a mental disability like schizophrenia, schizoaffective, bipolar, um, those diagnoses do not fall under the the criteria of a related condition, nor does it fall under the criteria of intellectual disability. So in that case, they would wanna try to contact um, maybe either the mental health clinic to find out more information from them to get services through them because here we are only working with the population of intellectual disability and related conditions. Okay.
0: There is um, the yes waiver though that you might want to look into for uh, mental uh, disabilities. So check into the yes waiver. Uh, we talked about the time frame from getting for getting your assessment. Um, and you said that this is for intellectual disabilities. So if they have an IQ under 47, they're definitely going to be approved, right? Correct. Yes. Um. Did we talk about who makes the person-centered service plan?
1: Yes. The plan is going to be based on how old they are. If they are... 21 and over, the plan is going to be done by the Harris Center or the LIDA, whatever LIDA that is. If they're 20 and under, then the plan is going to be developed by the MCO, by that Medicaid organization. Okay.
0: Okay. So you just need to call and ask about CFC, call your LIDA or call those other uh, CMO organizations. Um, If you have Medicaid, but you don't have a waiver yet, yes, you can get CFC, right?
1: If you have a Medicaid without a waiver program, yes, that is correct. You can get CFC services. we call it CFC non-waiver. That's actually part <laughs> of the name of our program.
0: Okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, we talked about the pay rate for the services and who sets that, um, and who can you hire? You receive a list of people that you can hire, correct?
1: Um, When you say who? Who for. Hire. Are you talking about for the actual attendant service,
0: for like yeah. the one that comes out yeah. to the house?
1: Like for pass. So you could potentially ask the provider agency, the whatever provider agency, to choose one for you, to choose an attendant for you or find an attendant for you. Or if you wanted to, you are able to choose your own person. Um, it could be a grandmother. It could be a neighbor. It could be um, sometimes even the mom if the individual is 18 and over. So we, wait, they don't let
0: have, say that again. let's say that one again. If the individual is 18 or over, then a parent can be paid to take care of them, but not if they're under 18.
1: Exactly. Yes, ma'am. So it doesn't have to be someone with a special skills or a special degree. The attendant can be somebody who doesn't have any special education. Um, as long as they maybe graduated high school, They'll be able to get hired, and of course, there will be a background check um, to make sure there's no felonies or things like that. But anybody can be hired, really.
0: Okay. Uh, what if the parent does have a felony?
1: Uh, they might not be able to. Sorry. Okay. okay. Um.
0: Let's see. It's it's not automatic, right? You have to call to be enrolled in CFC. You have to call either the the places that we talked about.
1: Right, and once enrolled. If you wanna find out who is gonna be able to get hired, that will have to go through the provider agency. The provider agency makes that contract with the attendant. So they have the final say on who's gonna get hired.
0: Okay, it is one o'clock. Uh, if if you want to stay on and do a couple more questions, we can. Um, if you have a question that was not addressed in the email that you'll receive later today, you will have uh, the contact information for Consolidated Planning Group. You'll also get Melissa's contact information, which is at the top of the chat box as well. So you can grab that and reach out to us personally, if your question still hasn't been answered. But um, so we talked about what, the DID stood for, and all the acronyms, um, I kind of saw that they were within your presentation. So as people go back through the slides, they'll be able to figure those out. Um, If you're in Fort Bend, it's Texana for your Lida. I'm trying to get to the end of these questions quickly. The meeting with Consolidated Planning Group, we do everything um, on Zoom because we have so many people, like I said, we work primarily with people who have children who are disabled in some way or have a special needs of some sort. So we do everything through Zoom so that we don't spread COVID and also you don't have to hire a babysitter. Uh, My daughter is 20, we are her legal guardians. Are we able to be an attendant?
1: Um, Yes, you can be the attendant for somebody who is 20 years old. Um, Now, this is based on what I've seen, based on experience, but the final say will still come from the MCO and from the provider agency. So if that specific MCO or that specific provider agency has the rule that they won't allow it, they're the ones with the final say, but you're always welcome to, to see about another MCO or provider agency. Um, there's only one exception. You won't be able to do CDS. The CDS option, whenever the family member becomes the employer, because then it will be. Um, yeah, well, that would be- well, I'm so sorry, actually, forgive me. You oh. can't be the guardian and the attendant on CDS. If you have the CDS option, you can have the guardian be the attendant also. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I do they give you training to be the care provider? The training technically will come from the provider agency, or if they have CDS, it will come from the family member, you know, the family who has chosen to be the employer. The training is not very in-depth, to be honest with you. So from what I've seen, I don't think it's a very in-depth training. Um, I, I would ask the provider agency whenever you choose a provider agency have that one is the questions on whether they provide training for their attendance for their caregivers. Okay,
0: fantastic. Thank you all so much for being here with us today and sticking with us this long I know we went over time but I just think this was such a valuable talk today. Um, you can reach out like I said to either one of us if you have questions we're going to have to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Melissa, for helping us with all of this great information, and uh, I hope that we'll get to hear from you again soon.
1: Thank you for having me, and thank you, everyone. Y'all have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Securities
0: and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member... Finra and SIPC. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.